Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Well, welcome, friends. I know this format is different, and I'm thankful that we're able to do that. I'm able to communicate with you wherever you are, whether you're listening to this on Sunday morning when we normally would be gathering as a community, or maybe you're catching up uh, later in the week. That's all great. You know, this decision to suspend our services uh, is something that we took very seriously, and uh, we want to be able to do that to care for those who are vulnerable in our community, but also to support the important work that's being done by healthcare professionals and governmental authorities uh, to combat the spread of this. And so, as I said in my letter and a number of things I've sent out, we're doing this out of love, not because we're so filled with anxiety that we want to just run and hide, but because we want to care and we want to support this important work that's happening. So thank you for your flexibility. Uh, thank you for caring for your neighbor in all the appropriate ways we can. But also thanks for listening to this this morning, whether you're listening on audio or on video. I'm glad to be able to bring you the teaching so that we can continue this journey through Acts together. So thanks. Well, when I was growing up, uh, we only had a couple of radio stations. One of the radio stations we had uh, was a country music station, and I will confess to you, though I have repented later, uh, that's all I listened to growing up. And then there was, of course, the rock and roll station, which was a little more questionable in my household. Um, anyway, on that country music station, but once a day, there would be this special program that would come on by a man named Paul Harvey. Now, I wonder if any of you remember his recordings. If we were standing here in a live audience, I would ask you how every one of those stories ended, and many of you would be able to answer that question. Paul Harvey would start by telling a story of someone. He wouldn't name them, of course. Uh, he would tell about somebody who had an obscure upbringing, or maybe they had a particular struggle, and then he would detail some of their story, and it would kind of build a sense within you of wondering, well, who is this person? And, and then he would tell some, some twist in their story or something that developed. And you're wondering, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? And then toward the end of the story, he would finally drop the name. And it would be someone that you already knew about. And you're surprised. Oh, that's them? And then he would conclude with his signature line. And now you know the rest of the story. And it was beautiful. And we really enjoyed those stories. They were heartwarming. They were surprising. Uh, they were informative. Well, today's story in Acts is one of those now-you-know-the-rest-of-the-story kind of stories. What we discover is Paul, who is heading out on his first missionary journey with Barnabas, who begins to tell the Jewish people the rest of the story. The main question we're looking at today as we explore our Acts uh, 13, we're continuing on in Acts 13, is this question, how is Jesus the rest of the Jewish story. What in particular is the relationship between the Christian faith and the Jewish faith? And that's a big question, which I know a variety of people have struggled to figure out, like how do those things relate? And so we'll actually have an opportunity to explore some of that today as we go through Acts. The truth is, Jesus was a Jew. Now for most of you, I'm sure that's not a surprise. 
But there are those who kind of forget it, that Jesus himself was a Jew and that all of his first followers, the first many thousands of followers of Jesus, were all Jews. They all followed Jesus and they had come to believe that Jesus was the promised Jewish Messiah. And yet, as Jesus had promised in Acts, this message of Jesus the Messiah, that he had died, that he had rose again, um, that, that he was now enthroned on high and he was the king, that message had gone out to many Jews and, and was beginning to spill out to others, to, to, to Samaritans that were kind of fringish. And, and then, as we've seen in Acts, now this message is starting to include people who were far outside the Jewish story, uh, Gentiles, you know, Ethiopians, uh, people that uh, wouldn't have necessarily heard about the Messiah or known anything about Jew- Jewish faith or the Jewish religion or anything. But that's where the news is getting. Uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are starting to now follow Jesus. They're being filled with the Spirit of God. And they're being baptized into the church of Jesus, Jesus the Jewish Messiah. And you need to know that this is a very big deal. It was a very big deal to them. It's a very big deal to the Jewish story. The inclusion of the Gentiles into the family of God sent shockwaves through this early church, this very Jewish church. And many of the first century struggles, I know I've said this before, many of the first century struggles in the early church stemmed from this new thing that Jesus had done by making Jews and Gentiles now part of the same family. And they had to figure out what does that mean that we're now in the, fa- in the same family. Now, that's very important for us to know, to understand this connection. Not only is that important for us to then share our faith and why we follow Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, to potentially a Jewish friend. Um, that, that's important, like to know that actual connection. But it's also important because it's actually a significant part of our own backstory. And the more we understand our backstory and our, the story of our whole faith, the more we can really appreciate who Jesus is and what it means to be people, who perhaps most of us, I think, are Gentiles, uh, what it means for us to have been adopted into this larger family. The question is, how did the apostles go about explaining this? How did they do that? What did they say? How did these early Jewish Christians help their own fellow Jews understand what Jesus had done and how this had changed everything and why it meant that these Gentiles were now part of the family of God? Like, how did that all work? It's a very important question, and it's actually the subject of, what, of the story today in, in Acts chapter 13. Uh, Last week, we saw Paul and Barnabas set out from the church in Antioch. They had sent them out, this vibrant, growing church of both Jews and Gentiles. And after a powerful encounter on the island of Cyprus, they made their way across the water to Galatia, where they continued to share the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. And they worked their way up to another city actually called Antioch as well, But this is in a different region, of course, than the original home church. And so we kind of set it apart based on its region. We call it Pisidian Antioch. It's it's in that area. And that's where they go. In this story, we see that 
Paul and Barnabas, they established what you could call is their missionary uh, modus operandi. Whenever they went into a town that had enough of a Jewish population, that there was a synagogue, they would first go to that gathering of Jewish people. They would first tell them about Jesus the Messiah. They would tell them about his death, about his resurrection. They would connect that to their own scriptures and help them understand about Jesus. And then... As soon as they were able, they would go out into the marketplace, uh, uh, other gatherings, and they would tell the Gentiles as well about Jesus. As Paul often said in his letter written later on to the Romans, he's talked about how the gospel comes first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. And this order of priority is because it's the Jewish story and it completes the Jewish story, but it also includes the Gentiles. And so we see that even in Paul and Barnabas and later on Paul and Silas and others, we see that even in their practice, that whenever they could, they would tell their Jewish fellow Jewish um, friends and family and connections about Jesus first, and then they would also go to the Gentiles. So we see that pattern unfold. And as you go through the rest of Acts, we'll see uh, variations on that pattern. There are some cities that didn't have much of a Jewish population. And so as a result, uh, there weren't really any Jews to tell. Uh, But then other places where there would be larger communities and some places we'd see a more friendly reception and then other places quite a hostile reception. It all depended. But whenever they could, this is the practice they follow. And this is what we find today. As we hear in the story today, we'll unpack how Paul helps his fellow Jews understand how Jesus really is the rest of the story. And so we're going to read from Acts 13, starting in verse 13, through the rest of the chapter. And so um, if you're at home, I encourage you to either find a Bible or open it up on BibleGateway.com or on your version on your, on your Bible app, on your phone or iPad. I'm going to read it from my iPad uh, so that I'm reading from the New International Version, the same thing you would be reading from. And we're just going to go through and unpack today how Jesus is the rest of the story. We're going to highlight at least four things that Paul himself highlights as he shares a message with the Jewish people in Pisidian Antioch. Well, let's start at the start of the story. So from Paphos, this is reading from Acts 13, 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And we'll hear more about John later. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Let me just pause there. So what we have is they're showing up at the synagogue, which is gathering of Jewish people. And what we discover very soon that it was Jewish people and it also included some people who were called God-fearers. These are people, Gentile people, who had tremendous respect, a desire to know more. They hadn't converted to the Jewish faith, but they were very empathetic, very sympathetic toward it. They're present in this. And so as traveling, perhaps they were... Uh, it was obvious to them that they were teachers or, or rabbis, but in some way there was something about them where they were invited to, to give a word, to share a word. And so from this, Paul takes the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, the Messiah. Listen to what he says, verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. 
Now, the first thing Paul does, let me just set it up. The first thing he does is he's going to tell them how Jesus is the stunning climax to their own story. That's where he's going to go with this. And watch what he does. He's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to pace them through their own story. He may have even, there's some commentators that suggest that he may have used the very scriptures that were read that day in the synagogue. Because Paul, uh, like other, other uh, Jewish uh, Christians at that time, they were, they were the type of people that could be sort of dropped in anywhere in the Old Testament. And they'd be able to say, and let me tell you how this points to Jesus. They're like those old guys, they say you could drop them out of an airplane anywhere in the world at night and they could look at the stars and tell you exactly where they were. That's what these guys were like. And so there's a suggestion that maybe Paul took the readings that were done that day in the synagogue and then used them to point to Jesus, to show how he is the stunning climax. So how is Jesus the rest of the story? The first thing Paul's going to do is say, Jesus is the stunning climax to your own story. This is what he does. First, he starts with their story. He says, verse 17, The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I'm not the one you were looking for. But there is one coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. You see what Paul does here first? First, he reaches back into their own story. He talks about how God had chosen them. God had rescued them. God had given them a place to live. Then he had set up leadership for them, which ultimately led to David himself, the greatest king of Israel. But then Paul moves in lightning speed from David to Jesus. He said, from, you know, from being rescued, from setting up kings to David, boom, that's who brought us Jesus. Very quickly, he moves to how Jesus is the stunning climax. Jesus is where everything in our story was moving. And the main point here he's trying to make is that all that God was doing by setting up this people, by choosing them, by working, was all leading to Jesus himself. Well, the question may have entered their minds at that point. Well, that was moving fast, Paul. Um, What's your proof that this Jesus character is actually the Messiah? What's your proof that He's the one this story was leading to. Well, that's where Paul goes next. What he says essentially now in this next section is that resurrection is the proof. Resurrection is the proof that Jesus is the climax to their own story. Listen to what he says now from Acts 13, 26 to 37. He says, Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet, in condemning him, 
They fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. I'll just pause there for a moment. See what Paul's done? He has said, look, Everything that has happened to Jesus, something that they may have sort of heard about. I mean, they may have heard about the the death. They may have heard uh, this following. But what Paul wants to let them know is there's something spectacular that has happened. This Jewish Messiah that people were following, that he had been healing people, he actually rose again from the dead. And and, and Paul himself doesn't include himself at that point in the primary witness category. We're here to tell you the news of salvation. This message of salvation has been sent to us. But he's able to point to those 500 others who were witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus and are now the ones they're relying upon. They saw Jesus walking around. They had lived with him for years and they saw him risen again from the dead. They're the ones who witnessed to this and now we're bearing witness to the world based upon what they had experienced. This is the good news Paul wants them to know. What God promised to our ancestors, he's fulfilled for us by raising Jesus from the dead. And then what Paul does is he goes on to say, let me back this up for you based on your scripture. And this could be the scriptures they had just read in the synagogue. We don't know. But he wants to back up what he's saying. And so what he says is this. He says, as it's written in the second psalm. The second psalm was a famous coronation psalm that related to God having a king who was a son. And this is what it says. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Then Paul moves on and says, God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God had said, and then he quotes Isaiah, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. Then he quotes another verse. He says, so it's also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now this is very similar to what Peter did in Acts 2, but the argument here is this. God promised that he would have a king, a son, and then he says to David, you, your body, when you die, will never see decay. But the truth is, of course, David died and didn't rise again from the dead. And what Paul's linking here is he's saying that promise that was made to David is now fulfilled by one of his descendants, by Jesus himself. That's where he goes next. He says, verse 36, Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, as in he died. He was buried with his ancestors And his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. And the connection he's making here is that Jesus really, truly died on the cross. But he didn't die long enough to start decomposing. I mean, that's essentially the connection he's making. He was dead, dead, stone cold dead, laid in a tomb. But he rose again on the third day. His body was truly dead, but not yet decayed. And the link he makes, and Peter does this in Acts chapter 2, is to say that was a fulfillment of the promise that God gave to David, fulfilled by one of his descendants, but fulfilled by Jesus himself, that though he died, his body would not see decay. And so what Paul's doing here is saying, Jesus is the stunning climax to your own story, and resurrection is the proof 
Well, now he's going to make his big move. Now he's going to move into the heart of it. The third point that Paul wants to make about Jesus being the rest of the story is to say that Jesus climaxed the old covenant by establishing a new one. This is what he says in verses 38 and 39. He says, therefore, in other words, he's wrapping up everything he's said so far. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Now there's a lot packed in these two little verses where Paul brings it all down to the point. He wants them to understand that Jesus is the climax of the old covenant and that now through his death and through his resurrection, he is founding a new covenant that both Jew and Gentile are part of. Everyone who has faith in him is able to obtain forgiveness from him to be part of this new covenant. And what Jesus did, Paul wants them to understand, the law could never do for them. Jesus forgives sin, whereas the law could only condemn them for it. Jesus set us free from sin, whereas the law only made us more aware of our sin and our inability to keep it, our inability to be righteous. Through faith in Jesus, all people can be justified, Jew and Gentile, everyone who believes. Something, and everyone could be brought back into right relationship with God. Something that the law could only point to, but it could never actually do it. As holy and as right and as good as the law was, it was ineffective in doing the one thing that we all needed, which was to be saved from sin, to be forgiven, to be brought back into right relationship with God, to be brought back to life. And so Paul wants his people to know, his own Jewish people, he wants them to know the rest of their own story because at this point, if that's all they ever knew, they're left with only half the story. They're left with the story, but not the climax. The, 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 all the, the first three quarters, but no conclusion. It leaves them in their sins. It leaves them condemned. It leaves them without real hope for life. Well, what now? Jesus is the climax, resurrection is the proof, doing for the Jews and the Gentiles what the law could never do. But Paul doesn't want them just to know the rest of the story. Of course, his goal is for them to respond, to come and trust their lives to Jesus, to to respond to him, to, to let him be the climax of their story. And so he moves in to clinch the deal. The fourth thing he does is he he warns them. But but not necessarily in a, in a warning that's sort of shaking their fist, but rather the kind of warning you give to someone when you don't want them to miss out on something good. Listen to what he says. He says, Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers. And he quotes now uh, from, uh, from one of the prophets. He says, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. What is he saying to them? He's saying, look, God has done something unimaginable in Jesus. God has done something that we didn't look for, that we didn't expect, even though it's stamped all over our covenant. And so now, don't miss it. 
don't miss the very thing that the Jewish leaders missed. You know, they, they saw Jesus and, and they just reacted to him and they, they rejected him and they, they wanted to get rid of him. Now, they actually ended up fulfilling the very thing God said would happen. They, you know, God worked that into his plan. But, but don't miss the thing that they missed. Get in on it. I want you to recognize how God has done this amazing thing through Jesus. The most amazing thing God has ever done in history. The climax of your story. Don't miss out. That's what Paul wants them to hear. It's an exciting finish. And it's almost like at the end of that, Paul could have said, and now you know the rest of the story. Well, let me finish reading here. Well, actually, I'll wait a minute. Uh, let me just say this. Why is this important to us? What, what do we do with this? We always try uh, as we're going through any scripture, but certainly as a church to ask, how does this apply to our lives? What do we do with it? And, and this kind of um, a message, a story, uh, you know, in some ways, we have to challenge ourselves and think, well, okay, practically speaking, what does this mean for us? Well, I'd like to offer kind of two applications. The first one is for those of us who are followers of Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is actually an invitation to deepen your own understanding and appreciation for your backstory, for our backstory. To recognize that Jesus didn't just come out of a vacuum and that understanding our own backstory, understanding how Jesus is the climax to the story, will deepen your appreciation and your love for Christ. It'll, it'll deepen your worship for him, your, your understanding of how God worked through all this time, all these years, all these people to bring about the salvation of not only Jewish people, but the whole world. And I believe that understanding our backstory will give us a deeper love and appreciation for Christ. But it will also deepen our ability to share our faith with others, to explain our faith, to, to tie the whole story together so that we understand from Genesis to Revelation, it all arcs and Christ is the key to it all. Uh, too many of us, I don't say this in any kind of judgy way, just as an invitation, too many of us know too little about who Jesus really was. And so as a result, we can be guilty sometimes of filling in different ideas of who Jesus was that aren't necessarily tied to reality, tied to his story. And so one practical thing here is to not neglect our own reading and study of the whole of Scripture. You know, in the covenant, we affirm the uh, Old and New Testament as, as this whole story that God has given to us so that we can understand who he is, understand his will, how we should live, how we should love, and ultimately to understand Jesus and follow him. And so to include the reading uh, and the study of the Old Testament into our regular Bible reading is very, very important. And always when we're doing that, to look for how this story points toward Jesus, how his coming is the capstone, how it's the climax to the whole story where everything points to him. As people who are part of the new covenant that's been established by Jesus, the old covenant isn't binding in the same way that it was, of course, but, but it is our backstory. This new covenant of ours has a history and our understanding and appreciation for it will be so much deeper when we see how it was set up, when we see how Jesus fulfilled the promises and now, for the sake of the whole world, is available to anyone who will believe in him who can become members of this new covenant by the Spirit. So that's my challenge to, to, to those of us who are followers of Jesus, to let the whole story 
uh, ring out and, and to, to make sure we're, we're reading and engaging the whole of Scripture. There's also those of us who are part of the Erickson Covenant Church who are exploring faith. And uh, I know many of us have conversations, and I'm so thankful that we as a church can be a place where you can explore things, you can ask questions, uh, you can even serve in various capacities. I love that. You know that, and I'm thrilled. Uh, And so I hope, actually, that this little talk today um, helps you appreciate more how the Christian story and the Jewish story are, are connected, at least from a Christian perspective, to understand, like, oh, that's how it connects. Oh, that's where you know, Jesus fits in to the Jewish story. I do think also and hope maybe that this could mark out some of your own exploration, like questions that you might have or um, having heard this today, like, well, maybe this will help me understand Jesus a little bit more. And so for you, I'd like to just ask, what would be your next steps of exploration? Maybe it's to read one of the Gospels. You know, there's four of them. They start the New Testament out, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, picking one of those and, and reading them and, and recognizing that there is a backstory and you'll discover so much more about Jesus, the Jew, who is the Jewish Messiah, who's the Savior of the world through that. But so maybe that's where you would start. The other one is simple and I invite it all the time. Maybe, maybe it's time for you and I to have coffee and to explore that a bit further. Maybe you've got a Christian friend um, and you can begin to dialogue with them about some of the questions you have. Maybe uh, you want to pick up a classic book like C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and, and begin to read that and explore some of the questions that you might have about the Christian faith. The big thing there for those of us who are just exploring this is that we maybe take to heart Paul's uh, warning at the end. Don't miss out. God's done something amazing in Jesus. You owe it to yourself to at least explore it. Don't miss out. And so I invite you to consider how you might do that. Next week, we're going to see uh, a different message. This week, we saw Paul speak specifically to Jewish uh, people with the same backstory as him, and he was able to talk to them. Well, what's interesting about Acts is next week, we're going to see Paul give a message to people who have no connection to the Jewish story whatsoever. In fact, they're so confused that when they see a healing take place, they think Zeus and Hermes have descended to them in human form in Paul and Barnabas. And some interesting thing happened as a result. And we hear Paul share the the good news about Jesus to them. And wow, does he ever do it in a different way? So it'll be fascinating to explore that next week. But that's getting ahead of ourselves. That'll be for next week. What happened after this talk that Paul gave? Let's just read the finish of the story here in Pisidian Antioch. As Paul and Barnabas, so this is verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. Ooh, so they had really, uh, you know, piqued their interest. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So good things so far. This is a receptive crowd. So one week later, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowd, so this would be the larger community of Jewish people, but particularly some of the religious authorities within that, when they saw the crowds, they were filled with, well, the NIV says jealousy, but it could also be like religious zeal, uh, a sense of indignation that, oh, there's way too much interest in this Jewish guy. 
It could be the kind of response that Paul himself would have had back when he was trying to destroy the church. So don't think of the jealousy as just like, huh, we don't, you know, too many people are listening to Paul. It's not quite like that. It's more that there's something about it. They're very concerned. They're very protective. They're maybe uh, this a bit heretical or they're not sure. So they're filled with je- jealousy and they begin, now I'm continuing to read, they begin to contradict what Paul was saying and they heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Remember what I talked about earlier? Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. And then Paul quotes again from the Old Testament. He quotes from Isaiah. Uh, actually, a, a kind of a mishmash of, um, of, of verses. He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of God spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. They shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them. That's a little hook back to what Jesus had told them to do when they were rejected. It's kind of a sign of judgment. It's kind of a warning. And they went on to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. All I want to say about that ending is this. What we see in this story is similar to what we're going to see in other places. There are those who are receptive to the message and there are those who reject it. And that's what we see when the good news of Jesus comes to anyone eventually. There are those who are not sure and they're exploring, but at some point decisions have to be made. And, and in this story, there are many Jewish people. Obviously, you can't think in this story that all the Jewish people were rejecting because they weren't. Many Jews were very interested, were coming to follow Jesus, and many Gentiles as well. But there was enough of a group within at least the authorities, the religious authorities, the Jewish, the Jewish people, and then they used others within the city to, to cause problems and drive them out. And we'll see that recur in different places. But what it results in is Paul saying, look, I want to let my Jewish, my fellow Jews know how Jesus is the climax of the story. But make no mistake, I'm also taking this to the Gentiles too. Because Jesus, who is the Jewish Messiah, who is the climax of the Jewish story, he's also the king of the whole world. He came, he died, he rose again, so that everyone, Jew and Gentile, can discover new life through him. Who can discover resurrection life forever. And so he continues to spread. Yeah, he gets driven out of one city, he goes to the next. The good news of Jesus continues to spread wherever he goes. Well, I wonder what questions you might have. Now, if we were here Sunday morning, of course, I'd be asking you, what questions do you have? And we'd be able to have them. So um, here's my suggestion to you today. Talk. Maybe you're just with one other family member. Maybe there's someone you can phone. Um, maybe maybe you're, you've decided to watch it together, but you're in two separate locations. I don't know. But share your questions with each other. What kind of questions does this story raise for you? What kind of questions do you have about the backstory about Jesus? Uh, what kind of questions do you have about exploring faith fur- further? Um, what questions does this raise for you? You might share them with each other. Uh, you might post them uh, on our Facebook site below this link. 
Um, you might uh, comment or, or send that into the, to the church email or even to my own personal email. Um, and, and you can find that on, on our website, ways, ways, to, ways to contact us. But what questions do you have? Ask those good questions because it's as we formulate a question that comes to us when we study Scripture, that often can drive our study deeper and deepens our appreciation of what's going on. So I encourage you to ask those questions, to share them with family, share them with friends, and together learn even more. Well, I want to just conclude our message today by simply praying. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for the ongoing um, efforts around coronavirus and for those in our community who are vulnerable. So if you join with me wherever you are, let's just pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the time we have together here today and listening uh, online and throughout the week. Thank you for the wonder of technology and the ability we have to, to continue to learn together, to share together, to pray together, to be your church here in this valley. The first thing I do want to pray for is for us as a church as we continue to serve one another, as we continue to love our neighbors. Lord Jesus, in the midst of uh, a lot of anxiety, I do pray that you would fill us by your Holy Spirit with wisdom and with courage, that we would not concede to anxiety and panic, that we would practice you know, good protocols and we would, we would listen to what our uh, good medical professionals are telling us to do so that we can prevent the spread and we can love the vulnerable and, and protect those who would be uh, at most at risk. But Lord Jesus, let, it, let that be from a place of love and care, not a, a, a dread or a fear. So I just ask that would be true for us and, and that during this time, we'd really be able to show people, our neighbors, our friends, our family, that we are resurrection people and we follow you. We do pray for those who are struggling with anxiety during this time. We pray for those who might be at home or, 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 or locked away, not necessarily because they need to be, but because... They genuinely have been struck by fear. And I just pray that your peace, Lord Jesus, would fill those who are at this time particularly struggling with anxiety. Um, that together we would lean on each other, pray for one another, and that your peace would fill our heart and our mind. I want to pray for those who are sick, those who are vulnerable, those whose immune systems are not uh, very resilient, those who are maybe already sick with other sicknesses. I just pray, Lord, for your protection to surround them. And Lord, for those who are caring for the sick, those who are on the front lines of combating a coronavirus, um, I just pray, Lord Jesus, for wisdom, for guidance, and for strength. I pray for our medical system that we would have what we need um, to, to really ensure the health of those around us. I also want to pray, Lord, for those who are experiencing other kinds of losses, maybe job losses or concerns around uh, finances because of things being affected by this. In all these things, Lord, will we just um, support one another? Um, would you grow our trust in you? And would we, in all these things, continue to declare you as our Lord, you as the one who is king of the world? And regardless of the troubles that come, we know that nothing, <laughs> nothing can outstrip what you've done for us in Christ. And so fill us with your courage, with your peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Would you just continue to bless us as we serve you? In your name we pray. Amen. Well, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The love of God fill your heart and the Holy Spirit empower you wherever you are. As you reach out, as you serve, 
as you continue to love your family and work your jobs and as we all continue to be the church that God has called us to be. God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged, too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.